Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please turn to Psalm 125. Psalm 125. And, oh, there's the map, okay. So we're continuing in our, the group of psalms called the Ascending Psalms. So as you can see, Israel and Jerusalem is full of hills and mountains and valleys. And from wherever you were, you had to travel up to get to, the, uh, to, get to Jerusalem. So whenever the children of Israel would go uh, to gather together at the different times of year for the different feasts, they would travel up to Jerusalem and they would s many times sing these psalms as they were ascending to Jerusalem. And it also has uh, another sort of meta metaphorical meaning to us as we look up, we look up to God, we, we, we always exalt Him to His highest place. So uh, ascending, you know, our thoughts ascend up to the Creator of all things. So we give glory to God as we just look up, as we ascend in our thoughts to Him. For us, reading and studying these Psalms is important because it gets us focused on God's desire for us to be set apart from the world and attentive to Him uh, above all things. And you know, with all the distractions that sort of come in from all different parts, uh, these Psalms direct us back to the one who deserves our attention above everything else. So, jumping in here to Psalm 125, a song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. So, this group of psalms, uh, mostly very short, uh, you know, uh, in verses, uh, but a lot packed into those verses. In verses 1 and 2 here, we see again a mention, sort of a reference to the, the landscape where God surrounds his people, you know, and he surrounded Jerusalem in, in that, uh, you know, with uh, mountains that made it very difficult for the enemies to come against them. And again, for us, God understands that we live in a world among uh, unbelievers and we need his hand of protection upon us to persevere. You know, we consider the layout of Jerusalem. We picture as God's people uh, are surrounded by the enemies of God and we can kind of relate 
you know, to what the Jewish people were, go were going through back then and even to this day where, you know, you're surrounded many times. You may be the only believer maybe in your workplace or in your family, you know, or, uh, you know, in your neighborhood. And, and so you're surrounded by people who don't know God. And, uh, and God understands that. But in a way, he wants us to be separate. He wants us to be set apart. You know, he wants us not to be of the world, obviously, but we are in the world. So, you know, as we prayed, you know, even before service tonight, for us to, you know, go out into the, into the neighborhood and to, to uh, even the song, to, you know, let our light shine, you know, let the light of the gospel come through to those uh, who we come in contact with, you know, there's also that part where we need to be separated, set, set apart. Matthew 16, 18 um, speaks of, you know, God's protection for his people. And as Jesus says, I also say to you that you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus uses this Greek word, uh, ekklesia, which means the called out or the assembly. And I love that because he, God is calling us out as believers, referencing the church as the assembly of people who have been called out of this world by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A few other verses that just show us, you know, what God's desire is for us in this world. In John 15, 19, it says, if you were, if you were of the world, the world loves its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So if you are in a place where you, are, you may be the only believer you know, in, your, in your group, they, you may sense that hatred you know, coming against you. But know that it's because Jesus has called you out of the world. You know, in John 17, in that prayer of Jesus, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you, that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So we're getting that picture of the called out ones, you know, so, you know, being surrounded by people who don't know God and just trusting him to protect us, trusting him to get us through. You know, Jesus has called us out of this world and out of its influence on us, but he's also called us to be an influence on the world. So there's that balance, you know, that we have to try to, try to uh, get there. It's, it's an impossible thing to do, though, without his guidance and protection from the things of the world. If we get caught up in the things of the world will be of no use to God. You know, there is a lot of things in this world that are very attractive, and we need to be able to discern what's worthy of our time and attention and what isn't. You know, that's, you know, we just have to prioritize. So his provision and protection are promised by Jesus, and like Mount Zion, the church will stand strong in the face of persecution and, and of opposition. You know, the psalmist closes this psalm here with a plea for the peace of Israel. And we still pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
And we see a world that's, you know, really anything but peace. Every day, every day there's something that just, uh, that just breaks through that peace. You know, today we saw, you know, another, another horrible attack uh, in the name of their, their God, who is not the true God, you know. And, and, they, and they kill and they, and they break that peace. But God will bring us through. He promises that for those who seek refuge in him. Uh, Psalm 126. We continue on. A song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes, goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So there's a historical reference here that the psalmist is making to the captivity of the Jewish people in Babylon and uh, under the cruelty of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, referring, though, when they, were, when they were taken out of captivity, when they were released from captivity. Ezra 2.1 says, Now these are the people of the province who came back from captivity, of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away to Babylon and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah, everyone to his own city. Think of that scene when, when you're, you're given your freedom, you know, after being in captivity, not able to worship, not able to, to really do anything that you used to do, and, and now you're free to go back. You go back to your own city. You're, you're settled in again. You know, speaking of the delight of the people, you know, when they had finally been freed. How awesome, you know, it was for them to see the Lord working. You know, for us, we can think of any time that the Lord has done this, just an awesome thing in our lives, you know, something unexpected, something that we never thought we'd really be freed from. You know, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's something that, you know, is really binding you. And God just finally frees you from that. How awesome that is. It's like a dream. You know, is this, is this real, Lord? You know, have you really delivered me from that? And so the people there in Jerusalem, uh, when they return back to their homes, they're saying, it's like a dream. You know, what the Lord has done in our lives. And, you know, to think of all the really neat things God has accomplished in us and through us, you know, it's, sometimes it's hard to believe. You know, hard to, hard to comp comprehend. Verse 2, this, it speaks of the children of Israel so amazed and so happy that their mouths were filled with laughter and their tongue with singing. You know, joy that's just so amazing, you can't hold it back, you know. And, and even that the people around them would recognize it. What does it say there? It says, uh, and they said among the nations... The Lord has done great things for them. You know, the people that didn't know God saw what God did in their lives and they, and they recognized that it was, that it was God. So f for us, 
You know, to see God working in our lives, it's an awesome thing for us. But think about the people that don't know God, that you're, maybe you're witnessing to, or maybe you're just living your life, and they see God working in your life. They recognize that. You know, may, they may not admit it, but they recognize that it's God working in your life. It's a great testimony to the world that you are in God's favor, you know, and he's working mighty things in your life. You know, in verse 4, um, it says, bring back our captivity. That translation's not so great because in the Hebrew, it's really, uh, it's the word shuv for bring back. It's really in the context, it means turn back our captivity, defeat our captivity, repel our captivity, Lord. The, the psalmist is saying here, you have defeated our captivity, Lord, and we praise you for it. All our tears were worth it to bring about this joy that we finally see. All the weeping that we went through was worth it to see now this rejoicing. You know, and f- for us, the appreciation that it should be our attitude regarding what God has done in our lives. You know, maybe we've gone through difficulties and we've been taken through that and now we can look back and we can rejoice and we can say, maybe, you know, the tears were worth it, Lord. I've seen what you've done in my life and, and we rejoice in those things. You know, the seeds we plant in tears, God brings forth in the beautiful fruit of salvation. Think about that. Think about the, the, you know, the seeds that you may be planting in your testimony as you live your life for the Lord. You know how difficult it is sometimes to live for God amongst maybe your family who's unbelievers. And you stand strong in that. And it's not easy. You know, and sometimes there's tears that come with that. Sometimes there's difficulty that comes with that. But through those tears, God can bring forth, you know, beautiful fruit. So, you know, just remember, it'll all work out in the end. Um, We're going to continue on in in Psalm 127. We're continuing our ascent up to the holy place, seeing God, where God will meet us. And in this psalm, King Solomon records his praise of God for the awesome things that he did in the city and in his family. So there's a couple of family psalms that we're going to be studying here tonight. This is really uh, the start of one of them. It's, It's a family psalm. It's also a national psalm. It's also a psalm with messianic references. So even though it's a few verses, it packs a powerful application for our lives. You know, God established that covenant with David, Solomon's father, that would never be broken. And it's right to give glory to God for his promises because we know he'll always keep them. You know, back uh, in, in 1 Chronicles 17, it speaks of this historical context that Solomon here is, uh, is referring to. And it says in verses 11 and 12, And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, this is speaking of David, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your son, 
and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. So the throne of David, which will be established forever. Of course, the Lord speaking through Nathan the prophet to David of his covenant with David through his lineage. And we know that Jesus came through that line of David. And any salvation any other way is, is, is vain because it's not according to God's plan. So Psalm 127, we'll read through it. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with the, their enemies in the gate. So, nothing that God does in our lives um, is, well, nothing that we do is worth anything unless God is the architect, basically. This is what he's saying here. Unless God builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Solomon knew he was going to be the one to build the temple to be used for worship, but it had to be according to God's plan. You know, we can have great plans for our life, but if it's not according to God's will, if he's not leading and guiding us, it will be in vain. A couple of Proverbs that speak of that. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. So we see here that, you know, man can make grand plans, but if it isn't according to God's will, it will all be in vain. You know, Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs. He had unique insight because of what God had done in his life. So he had this perspective, you know, that unless the Lord builds the house, he labors in vain who builds it. Ecclesiastes, um, right at the beginning of this book, at the end of Solomon's life, Solomon realizes when he says in verses 1 to 3, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? You know, Solomon had walked away from God by this time. He wasn't, his life was not directed by God. It was directed by his own desires. So he saw that it was all vanity. You know, it, when you're in the Lord's will, it, it's not vain. Solomon knew at the end of his life how many of his plans were in vain because God wasn't in them. But this didn't just refer to the kingdom. It also had application to the family. When God is in the middle of a family, his plan will be fulfilled. You know, on a personal note, I didn't, we didn't raise our children uh, in the ways of the Lord. We weren't saved when they were young enough. Praise the Lord, my son 
uh, came along at, at his, at his, in his teenage years, and he knows the Lord. I pray for my daughter that someone will, put, will you know, be in her life um, you know, that will also lead her to the Lord. But uh, children, the family, you know, when God is in the center, you know, it, it, great things will be accomplished. You know, uh, the psalmist here says, uh, you know, children are a heritage from God. Children are an inheritance. Children are a legacy. And you leave your legacy to them and then God, uh, you know, will work in their lives and they'll leave a legacy to the next generation. Hopefully, we're leaving a godly legacy to our children. And that's what, uh, that's what the psalmist is speaking of here. Psalm 128 is another family psalm. It speaks of the blessings of honoring God and how that kind of life translates to a blessed life for your family also. And that it also extends from your family to the community. You know, because you know, that kind of, that, that kind of uh, uh, focus on God you know, is really what holds society together. And as we see society start to fall apart, we see that it's because God is not in the center of what, of what everyone's thinking of. There's an article here I want to read part of to you. Um, it's, uh, the title is Love is What Holds Society Together. It's from uh, uh, July 9th, 2013, the Acton Institute, if you want to do some research on it. Um, it quotes a theologian from the 19th and 20th centuries um, who focused on how the family serves as the best teacher for relating rightly to one another. Society is fundamentally a complex composite of moral relationships. Thus, if the family is central to forming the most basic of human relationships, the family is indispensable in cultivating a flourishing society. So he gives a real a great deal of importance to the family and uh, a family that's raised in the ways of the Lord. It's, he says here, in the family, from the moment we enter the world, we get to know all the relationships that we will enter later in society. Relationships of freedom and connectedness, interdependence and dependence, authority and obedience, equality and difference. We get to know them in the family not just in an abstract way, but, but practically, in and through life itself. All moral relationships are embedded and interwoven in the family and in the bonds of blood, and they are rooted in the origins of human existence. He goes on and says, the family is the nursery of love and inoculates society with such love. We need that love if there's going to be any reform within society. Not selfishness, not greed, not thirst for domineering. But love is the foundation and the cement of the Christian society. Christianity is not the architect, but the soul of society. One who destroys the family is digging away at the moral foundation on which society has been established. And so he goes on and, and just, he says, at the end of this article, he writes, for God is love, and the love of the law is his kingdom. So we see here these psalms are directed 
really to the family, to be sung amongst the family and to be given to, to the family f- as an idea that if they're focused on God, then God will bring blessings that will extend even further outside of their family. So jumping into Psalm 128, um, a song of ascent. Blessed is, is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord will bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So the importance here of of fearing God, of revering God, of walking in His ways, of raising your family in the ways of the Lord, and the blessings that extend outward from the individual follower of God to the community and then to society in general. A reminder here that, uh, that the ones who don't walk with God miss out, miss out on the blessings. It says here, Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord, you know, and the ones who do not fear the Lord, do not, do not walk in his ways, miss out on that great blessing. Uh, moving on to Psalm 129. A song of ascents. May a time, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So, Psalm 129 here, uh, speaking of the perseverance of God's people through the ages. You know, when we see it, we, we see it throughout the scriptures, and we see it today. You know, God's people being persecuted. You know, individually we see you know, God's people persecuted for their faith. We see collectively how people have suffered oppression over, over the uh, course of history. How many times do we read in Scripture, you know, that the, the pagan nations came against uh, uh, the nation of Israel? And today, it seems as though Christians um, are the main target of most of the persecution and the oppression in the world, yet the church survives. And in some areas of the worst persecution, the church even thrives. You know, you, you guys will be absolutely blown away, and I, I ask permission to share this because I know how excited Pastor Joe is about the report we got from Pastor Denny over in Bahrain about the work that he's doing among the refugees. And 
the, you know, what he was able to bring to them because of the gifts of this fellowship and, and many others around the world, the, the, the joy of Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of his newsletter because I think it's important that we understand that God will protect his people and his people will persevere and, in, and even in the midst of the worst persecution, people are still coming to the Lord. Uh, Pastor Denny says, while visiting Iraq in October to minister among refugees fleeing the war in Syria and the evil army known as the Islamic State, we call them ISIS, ISIL, he calls them just ICE, the, Is the Islamic State. I met people who spoke of their wives and daughters being kidnapped and sold into sex slavery. Some of the girls had escaped and spoke of other girls that had committed suicide. Men talked to me about seeing their brothers, sons, and fathers executed, some decapitated, and their bodies cruelly displayed in public. As I traveled, I saw thousands of refugee kids sitting around, no school, nothing to do. What horrors they had seen. What pain, fear, or other emotion is etched in their minds. And if the soldiers, soldiers of ice came in the name of God, what do these kids now think of God? Haunted by these thoughts, I prayed and asked the Lord, what can we do? The answer was clear. Go and bless them in my name. Show them some love. Yes, that sounded like Jesus. In Matthew 19, we read, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Pastor Denny goes on, The ministry team in Jordan, many of whom are refugees themselves, seek out and serve refugees in Amman. They visit in homes and camps, providing mattresses, kerosene heaters, food, Bibles, and clothing. They also look for people interested in learning more about the love of Christ. And when they find them, they have weekly Bible studies. By God's grace, many Muslims have come to faith in Christ and they are being taught how to study their Bible and how to live for Christ. Some of them are so excited about their newfound faith. Listen to this. Some of them are so excited about their newfound faith that they don't want to immigrate to safer democratic countries as so many re other refugees. No, these dear ones want to go back to Syria and Iraq to share the gospel with their own people. Isn't that amazing? This literally means risking their lives. First, they want more Bible and church leadership training. So, you know, he's seeing firsthand people who are putting their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel and, you know, they're, they're persevering. They're thriving. People are coming to the Lord in the midst of the, such horrible human conditions. And so, really, there's nothing else to say about this psalm except that, that you know, many a time in verse 1, they have afflicted me from my youth, and yet the Lord is righteous. It says he has cut the cords of the wicked, and uh, he will bless his people. Amen? Um, Psalm 130, we'll finish up. 
Psalm 130, a psalm of praise for God's mercy and forgiveness. And, you know, we can just, we can sing this song day and night. Uh, a song of ascent, jumping into verse 1. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So, talking about hope in the Lord, waiting on the Lord, knowing that his mercy endures forever. And so, basically here, uh, a praise and a petition for God um, to continue to just, to just um, bless. So in verses 1 and 2, he's expressing here, uh, his petitioning the Lord in the midst of a great trial. You know, as we've seen throughout the Psalms, you know, the heart of the psalmist just crying out to the Lord. You know, that... And for us, it's instructive to know that God continues to hear us no matter how many times, how often we go to Him. You know, I think that's why a lot of times there's repetition, even in the Psalms. We see the psalmist continuing to cry out to the Lord, Lord, hear my prayer. You know, because maybe we tend to think that God might get a little tired of hearing our prayers all the time. You know, God, I'm coming to you again with this petition. But he, he, do, he doesn't. He doesn't get tired. He wants to hear our, our pleas. Whether the psalmist is crying out to the Lord in a trial or crying out for forgiveness of sin, he realizes that his salvation includes the forgiveness of sins past, present, and future. God doesn't keep account of our iniquities to hold against us if we're in Christ. You know, if we were judged according to our actions, we could never be saved, right? The, the psalmist here says, if you, Lord, should mark on our iniquities, who could stand? He doesn't do that. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's how he sees us in Christ. In Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Boy, is that grace or what? For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. The praise goes up. Now again, in these psalms of ascents, you know, looking up and just honoring God, exalting Him, praising Him for the grace and the mercy that He's bestowed, bestowed upon us. You know, the psalmist is not necessarily delivered from his troubles yet, but he trusts in the Lord. He waits on the Lord for that deliverance. And he knows that the Lord is always faithful and uh, he believes. 
He believes in His mercy. He believes in His grace. He believes in that redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. Let's